You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. But allow me to take a moment tonight just to capsulate and to summarize some of the things that we have talked about over the last couple of evenings that we covered this. We looked at media. Why does media matter? And I won't rehash that, but the four principles for media that we have presented and that we have discussed, we would categorize in these ways. And that would be the input of media. Media input, media output, our media interactions or community engagements in that way, and then the screen time or the time that we are giving to media, why that is relevant. We're going to talk about that tonight a little bit more in depth. But allow me just to address some things. In media input, we talked about how the eyes are the window of the soul. The eyes become the window of the soul. And we shared a little bit of research of how literally when you see something, your brain is reacting as if you are participating in it. And so advertisers and marketers have used this uh, understanding to entice us to certain things. But we take this to understand why David said, or uh, Job said this, he said, I will not think upon a maid. When I, when I, when I see something, I'm not going to allow that to work into my life, I'm, in my mind. I'm not going to allow that to derail me. I'm not going to allow the things that I see to affect my mind. David said, I will behave myself wisely, or I will behave myself, uh, yeah, wisely within my house. And then he follows after that and says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eye. Because he knew the connection between what he would allow himself to see and the influence that it would have upon his soul and upon his heart. There's a phrase we've often heard said, garbage in, garbage out. And so you cannot expect to be inputting junk in your life. You cannot expect to have a steady diet of sugar and to have some kind of a great health benefits there. That's not going to work. The same is true with the input and the intake that we take in. Much of the media that's put out there, purportedly in entertainment, let's say, is not of a godly nature. It's not exalting things of a godly nature. And the Old Testament, we looked at this in Numbers, we looked at it in Ezekiel and the prophets, where God actually warned His people, be careful what you look at. And God gave them specific commands, when you get into the promised land, the land that I'm going to give you, there are some things that you are going to have to drive out and that you should not align yourself with. And so the Lord's specific word to them was destroy their pictures. Now, it's interesting that God said that. He wasn't against pictures. He wasn't against that. I just just highlighted a good, valuable picture that Sister Naomi made for me in one of my messages a couple weeks ago. God wasn't against the pictures. He was against what it was illustrating, what it was manifesting. And so we take the rule. Our series text comes from the verse that you're at, Philippians 4 and 8. And let's look at it. Look at this again together. Paul says this, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if, somebody say if, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise. That right there is a good underline in your Bible that we would ask in relation to our interaction with media. If there is any virtue, is there any virtue? Is there any praise? Is there anything in here that glorifies God? And then he says, think on these things because ultimately everything is being processed in your mind and it's what you're dwelling upon. It's what you are allowing to your mind to meditate upon, to rest upon, to stop upon. When Job was accused of adultery, he said, look, I I, I have not been a part of this. And he said, I have made a covenant with mine eyes not to think upon a maid. It's interesting that he did not say, I made a covenant with mine eyes not to look upon a maid. He said not to think upon a maid. Because sometimes you may see things inadvertently. Hey, I wasn't looking for this. It just popped up. There it was. There it came before me. I saw something 
that, that I do not uh, endorse, that I don't want any part of, but I saw it. And so Job says, I made a covenant, and my covenant is, no matter what I see, I'm not going to be intentional. I'm going to be intentional not putting this before me, but no matter what I see, I will not let my mind dwell upon it. So if I was going to put that in 2018 language, Job was saying, I'm, if, I, if I change the channel and there's something there, I keep on changing the channel until it glorifies God. Oh, ain't nobody going to help me preach on Wednesday night here at church. And so he says, I will not think upon a mate. So here's our principal guideline that we set, and, and this is like the parameter. This is like the rumble strip in the road when you're driving down the road. This, but it's more than that because this is a good commandment. Rules were not meant to inhibit us. They were meant to save us. Guardrails were not placed to bind us or limit us. They were meant to save us. And so that's what this is. This is a principle that we put, and this is the principle I would give to you. Do not watch anything that you would not participate in publicly, morally, ethically, and only input things that bring to virtue to your life. So don't watch anything that you would not participate in publicly because as a Christian, let's say as a Christian, you say, well, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I would participate in that. Well, that, then this, this is not even for you. But if you are saying, I want to keep my life um, set apart for the Lord, this, this is a good principle. Then we went to media output, and Brother Weeks gave us a wonderful thing on that. Media output, our engagement, what we are putting out there. So maybe we're not on the input side, we're on the output side. Now, uh, who would have ever thought that you can do this? You can take a video with your phone, send it around the world. We are just now in the uh, Genesis stage, really, of technology, elect digital technology. And it's crazy for us to even comprehend, but our children and our grandchildren's generation are going to look back at us as... Uh, probably with as much distance as the horse and buggy generation. With all of our technology now, they're going to look back at us because it's advancing that fast. So we're on the output thing, that which you communicate. So we look at Luke 6.45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. And he says, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. So if your heart is good, you don't have to worry about what you say. That's why the number one thing we focus on is the heart. We don't get up on Sunday and rail against don't do this, don't do that. What we say is let your heart be clean. Because when your heart gets clean, guess what? Everything else is going to take care of itself. And not to say that sometimes you don't need specific instruction. I don't need specific things saying, hey, be careful, don't do this. Uh, that's all good. But the heart is the, is the issue. The heart is the issue. And so uh, we want our heart to be right. So if your heart is right, you don't have to worry about, hey, I'm going to put something out that's wrong, that's evil, that's offensive, that's whatever. The, the next thing about our media input that we addressed is anonymity and secrecy. Anonymity and secrecy. There, there is something about digital technology that people act differently. They treat it differently. They communicate differently. In the book Cyber Effect, uh, she said people behave differently when they are interacting with technology than they do in the face-to-face -face real world. And so people become somebody else on social media or whatever in specific. And then secrecy. A lot of times people think, hey, I'm doing this in secret. Nobody knows. 20% of all divorces uh, uh, are, are attributed to online activity, online relationships. 41% of those that get caught say, hey, it was my online activity. They confess. This is what uh, uh, this is what got me down. And so we get online, social media, your output, and things you would never do publicly. Hear me. Things you would never do publicly, all of a sudden you, the, you interact differently and now all of a sudden things change and people allow themselves to go places, do things, say things, communicate with people that they would not because you've taken away that human presence there. And in a lot of ways you've taken away the accountability. So you want to be accountable. The principal guideline here for this one is do not say or share anything that you would not face-to-face -face publicly in a biblically approved manner. Only output those things that edify and give honor to God's work in your life. And then we talked about media interactions, your likes, your shares, your follows, your friends, 
and your follows. That which you participate in and that which you keep company with. So we have some people that, okay, we're not talking about the media input. We're not talking about the media output. We're talking about your just interactions on social media. And Brother Weeks talked about this um, a little bit. Our interactions is uh, how we interact with one another. Again, on a digital platform, sometimes things that we wouldn't do in a public face-to-face manner, all of a sudden we act differently in that manner. And the principal guideline of this is do not keep company or endorse that which is contrary to God's ways, but rather interact as Christ would have you act. Now you say, this is so simple, Pastor. Really? Are you telling me this? Yes, I'm telling you this because good born-again Christians lose their minds sometimes on the internet. We can smile. We can laugh. Is that all right? We can laugh a little bit about that. Is that, not, is that okay? Here's what Ephesians 5 and 11 says. And have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now, does that mean you have to be hateful and mean Absolutely not. You should not be hateful and mean. But be careful what you endorse. Be careful what you connect to. Folks, we live, in a, we live in a world where we're sadly losing this, where everything has to play out digitally. You don't have to follow everybody that you know and love on social media. Is that okay? That doesn't mean you don't dis, dislike them or you're not loving of them. Hey, they may be on your prayer list every day. But that's just somewhere I don't go. Now, sometimes it's hard. Once you've made all these connections and then you go change and you say, okay, I don't know, I don't know how to handle this. Well, maybe you could take a hiatus from social media or something for a while and get out of that if you get yourself in a corner. But here's what Ephesians says. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. So be careful what you connect to, whether it's an entity, whether it's entertainment, even celebrities. We're a celebrity-minded generation. And maybe some of our celebrities, we always say, why am I following this person? Why am I paying attention to this person? What is it about this person that I'm, I'm, I'm liking? And maybe they're an athlete, maybe there's something, and you like one measure of their life, but the rest of their life is full of vileness and filth because they're, they're lost. And we wouldn't expect anything different from people that are lost. And so you say, hey, I can admire them without having to endorse everything that's going on in my life. So what would you do? You ought to interact as Christ would act. Now, that, what does that mean? That, means, that doesn't mean that you can't be connected to sinners. Hello, no. Christ went and sat down and ate with sinners. But in his eating with sinners, he never was endorsing their lifestyle. He was always connected with them to minister to them, to lift them up. And so I'm, I'm, I, 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 we, have the, we all have those connections, those of us that are on social media, to people that may not be in the church, may not be living for God, may have once been living for God and walked away from the Lord. But we can still love them and interact as Christ would act. And so that's a wonderful principle guideline there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 33, and then Brother Kendall's going to come. I want you to look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33. And here's what Paul tells us. Be not deceived. He says, evil communication corrupts good manners. In another place, it was bad communication corrupts. And so that that sounds really light in that sense. But what he's saying here is you've got to be careful what kind of fellowship that you have, what kind of company that you are keeping. He, He even admonishes us in another place, to be careful with the company that we keep. Now, when I'm with somebody that is not saved, that is contrary to to Christ ate with sinners. Do I eat with sinners? Absolutely. Absolutely. But am I doing it with the intent to reach them, with the intent to love them, with the intent to be an example, a godly example before them? Or am I doing it with the intent of, hey, this is my friend, this is my companion? How can two walk together except they be agreed? Light hath no fellowship with darkness. So so in that sense, you've got to ask yourself, hey, who is my friend group? Maybe maybe you need to change your friend group when God gets a hold of your life. Is that all right? That doesn't mean I don't dislike them. Hello? When God saves us, though, there are some things I stop doing. 
Not because God said, I stop, stop doing those, even though he may say that. I stop doing them because I don't want to have fellowship with darkness. I don't want that anymore. I don't want that anymore. I don't like the feeling that that brings in my life. And so I don't watch what I used to watch. I don't walk like I used to walk. That's how the old timers say. I don't talk like I used to talk. I don't go the same places I used to go because now I'm feasting on the things of God. And so don't allow the old. Can I just stop for a moment and say, the old timers used to say, I don't walk like I used to walk. I don't talk like I used to talk. I don't live like I used to live. But today, in today's world, people come, give their life to God, get baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, and they go home, and they allow, sometimes without even thinking, the same trash and the same filth to come across in front of their mind. And then they come back and say, man, I'm barely making it. I can't wait to get, I need church. I, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Well, you, you're, you're living life. You're like kicking against the pricks. Get up every morning and say, this is the day which the Lord hath made. Give your life to God. Get some of that stuff out of your life. Has anybody ever gone on a detox? If it, come on, anybody ever gone on a detox? Come on, I'm talking about, if you've never gone on a detox, you don't know the pain I'm, I'm thinking of right now. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? When you go on a detox and you detox your diet, those first few days is like, oh, gnawing on leather. And then all of a sudden, when all that stuff gets out of your system, it's like, wow, I don't, I don't even, it's like you feel so much better. If you ever do a spirit, that's what the Holy Ghost wants to do with us, is to spiritually detox our life from the things of this world. Somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. Amen. Amen. So next we're going to talk about screen time. Brother Kendall, come on. Praise the Lord. Amen. So we are, as Pastor just highlighted those past three, now we're looking at our final principle of screen time. And as has been the case with all of these, the desire is to simply look at the forever settled Word of God and, and looking at God's Word, say what principles are in God's Word that apply to the way that I engage and that I use media. And so with this principle of screen time, what we're looking at is it's not at all looking at the content of the media, but we're simply looking at the amount of time spent with a screen, your screen time. And so the principle from the Word of God here is a principle of stewardship. And I don't know about you, but the first thing that comes to mind when I think of stewardship is money. And I think of how God wants us to be a steward of our money and our finances and the way that we spend and use our money. But the Word of God is clear that God has also called us to be a steward of our time. And a steward is simply, uh, to be a steward is, is to say that God has called us to manage our time well or to use our time wisely. And so the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Psalm 90 and verse 12, the Bible says there, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And James chapter 4 and verse number 14, the Bible says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. So, over and over, the Bible instructs us that we have to redeem the time. And James is telling us here that we don't know what tomorrow holds. I have no guarantee of tomorrow. He says that our life is like a vapor, which is to say it's like when you step outside on a winter day and you take a deep breath and you can see it in the air for a moment and then just as soon as you see it, it's gone. And that's how quickly time passes by. And so the Bible is telling us that that time is, you know, you can uh, lose money and then you can gain money back, but you cannot gain time back. Once it is gone, it is gone. And so the way that we spend our time is, is very important. And when it comes to social media, um, you can just look at the statistics, and the statistics will tell you that in America today, we give a lot of our time to media. Uh, Pew Research just put out a uh, study they had done. They put it out March of, of just last month, so it's a recent study they did. And, and what they found was that uh, for those that are 65 years of age and older, 37% are on social media, and then it goes from 50 to 64 years old at 64%, and then 30 to 49 years old, it jumps up to 78%, and then those 18 to 29 years old are at 88%. So almost nine out of every 10 people that are from the age of 18 to 29 
are uh, active on social media, and I'm sure it's probably even higher and will continue to increase for those that are, are coming up uh, into the next generation. And that's not, those are not bad statistics because there's nothing wrong with being on social media. That's just telling us that the, the reality is that in America today, most people are, are engaged on social media. But uh, just to give you an idea, some other statistics on, on the actual amount of time that people are giving to it, um, the average person touches their phone 2,617 times per day, and the average person checks their phone 80 times per day, and so that's all age groups, but a 13-year-old checks their social media about 100 times per day. And then when you look at the number of hours that are spent, uh, kids that are 8 to 12 years old spend an average of 6 hours every day on media, teenagers spend an average of 9 hours per day on media, and adults spend an average of 12 hours per day on media. And so, at, by and large, the average statistics are telling us that the average person is devoting a great deal of their time to media. We're spending a lot of time with engaging with media. And, uh, but so when it comes to being a steward of our time, what that means is that everything in my life, I want it to be in balance. I want there to be a balance in my life. Uh, China was the first nation to... Uh, they, they have, China has identified internet addiction as a clinical condition because it came to the point in China, they have, it's a large country, so they have 700 million people in China that are using the internet, and they came to the point there where they had so many people that were addicted to the internet that they actually established boot camps, and it's like a military-style boot camp that they put people in, and the reason they did that is because they had adults that were quitting their jobs and they had kids that were dropping out of school so that they could play video games 24-7. Not only that, but they had people that were so addicted to playing video games that they were purchasing, they bought adult diapers and they would wear adult diapers so that when the time came for them to use the restroom, they wouldn't stop playing the game, they would just keep on playing the game. And they, they, that's how addicted, that's out of balance. That's out of balance. And so, obviously, that is an extreme situation. I don't know anyone personally that is at that point of addiction. Um, but maybe something more common. I, I had someone, not here, but far, far away, someone told me once that they had spent their Christmas break uh, binge-watching a TV show on Netflix, and that's kind of a popular thing. People will actually avoid watching a show as it comes out so that they can actually binge-watch it all at once. And someone had spent, like, their Christmas break watching over 30 hours of this show, and so they were devoting basically a full-time job to binge-watching a show. And so we have to ask ourselves, uh, is that a, being a good steward of my time? Is that in balance? Is there an addiction there? Um, these are questions that, that need to be considered because uh, the implication is, is, you know, what am I, according to the word of God, as God tells me, am I redeeming the time? And, and if I understand that, that the days are short and, and that there is a difference between what is temporary and what is eternal, I want to be wise with the time that God has given me. And so that's just a quick overview as we look into screen time. That's kind of where we're at. It is something that people are giving themselves to, and Pastor is going to come back now and, and talk to us a little bit more. Now, those are startling stats, and when he's giving us the hours of media engagement, I believe that, that is, those statistics are media across the board, so that's all media, whether it's entertainment, news, let's say, uh, uh, any kind of digital engagement that you're having. But as an average adult, I think you said it was like 12 hours because we wake up in the morning and they check their phone, turn on the news. Uh, it's all throughout the day, nonstop, constant. Think about 2,000 times a day you touch your phone. Whereas That's just touching your phone. They, they did their little research. You touch it. Uh, where's my phone at? How many feel lost? You, you forget your phone. You got to go all the way back home. And we engage with it so much. It's our, it's our office uh, it's our email, it's everything, and we get addicted to it without even realizing this. And then you've got the extremes like he showed us in China, and we laugh at that and think, yeah, right, there's no way. But this is actually a bigger ep epidemic than you would think that government's actually stepping back and say, how can we get involved because our economy is going to collapse eventually at some point. Well, that is something over there, and we think, well, maybe I'm not about, uh, 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 I'm not that bad. But we've got to ask ourselves, 
it what let's acknowledge the addictive nature of media there is an addictive nature and how is this impacting me if at all and so maybe you're not on social media maybe this isn't involve you but this is the world and the reality that we live in and millennials and and whatever we're calling our tweens uh, now and the children they're growing up in a culture where they're going to have to deal with this stuff and so we have to be aware. There's one book that I recommend that I'm going to uh, highly recommend to you. It'll be in the bulletin Sunday, again, as a recommendation by Dr. Archibald Hart. He's a, a, a Christian. I don't know him. I have a, a, a friend who knows him really well, has, has studied under him. And uh, this book is entitled Thrilled to Death, and it's how the endless pursuit of pleasure is leaving us numb. And I want to highlight this if I can because this is touching on the addictive natures of media and how it impacts us. There's another book you can look at, Amusing Ourselves to Death. It's a secular book. talks about the cultural phenomenons of amusement and how it's dealing with us. But Dr. Hart is a Christian, and uh, he makes some powerful statements here, and he talks about uh, a, a uh, term called anhedonia, and this is a medical term, anhedonia. And anhedonia is a term that is used when someone is no longer able to get pleasure. There, it, and it all takes place in the mind. It all takes place in the mind. It's completely a mental thing. He makes a statement in here. He says, technology is revolutionizing our lives, he says, but it is ravaging our brains. And this is the crazy thing. It is a great advancement. I'm thankful for what technology has done for us, but as it continues, it is ravaging our brains. And uh, there's another book by a man by the name of Nicholas Glass, The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And they're just talking about the impact of the Internet. And there's a whole lot of secular academia that is saying, hey, we've got to sit up, we've got to pay attention, or a generation's going to pass, and we're going to be in trouble. But he goes on and he describes anhedonia. This is how... Um, I would, uh, he describes it here. Um, and I want to make sure I get the definition of what he's got here. Anadonia. Okay. Anadonia refers to the reduced ability to experience pleasure. I won't read this. I've got some highlights here. But the problem is anhedonia is what happens when we have pleasure comes to our brain. When our brain perceives pleasure, whether it's eating food, uh, whether it's uh, engagement and entertainment and media, as, as our brain is stimulated, as it is stimulated and then it is overstimulated, our brain builds up resistance to those pleasures. So it will resist the pleasure. So this happens most often is described among drug addicts. A drug addict takes a hit, and then they take another hit, and their body gets stimulated and overstimulated, and so their body builds up a resistance to the stimulation as a coping mechanism. So then, in order for them to achieve the same pleasure again, they have to take a bigger hit, they have to take more drugs, and so the same amount that they took previously is not going to achieve the same pleasure because their body is building up a resistance to it. And so as the addict continues on, their body at the same time they are addicted is building more and more resistant. And the addiction is they're trying to achieve the same pleasure and they have to take more and more hits and they never achieve that. The same thing happens digitally with our mind with the endorphins that release, with everything else, and we build up these pleasure systems. And so literally he starts describing all kinds of crazy things of how people choose pleasure literally to the point of dying. And the reason why is because mentally your brain is never satisfied. There is never a saturation point of pleasure for your brain. Your brain always wants more, it always wants more, it always wants more, and it craves. So he makes the, the equation here. He says this. In a healthy brain, for instance, eating good food eventually reaches satiation, satiation, and we stop eating, hopefully. 
So you eat good food, you eat fruits and vegetables, and your body gets filled and says, okay, enough, I'm done, I don't need any more. He says, but an anhedonic brain is never fully satisfied, and it will continue to eat, contributing to obesity and food addictions. So it's all about a mental thing. That, hey, I've got to have more, I've got to have more, I've got to have more. The same is true with pornography. It's the exact same thing. And he lays out something here that is so, I, I, I could highlight some of these things uh, and just go on, uh, but this is unbelievable as he talks about all of the pathways to pleasure and how literally we are killing ourselves, uh, thrilled to death. We are amusing ourselves to death. He makes a powerful statement. He says, today's youth are not bored because they have lack of things to do. He says, today's youth are bored because they are overstimulated. And it's the same thing. What kids have access today is unbelievable. You take a child from 100 years ago and put them in today's world, they would go nuts. But kids have so much and are so overstimulated that they are bored with life. And things have to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And if you follow, if you, uh, I hope you don't follow, but if you pay attention to the pornographic industry, the things that are passing today for pornography are unbelievable. What passed for pornography just 50 years ago is seemingly, this is horrible that we would even say this, but in comparison and contrast, seems mild to what passes for it today. But it's because kids are exposed at such a young age that they're trying to peak their pleasure systems to where now one of the sensational things is, is uh, 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 people engaging, youth engaging in moral activity that kills them literally kills them. And they're talking about the sensation they get as they're passing away. It's out of this world. It is demonic. It is ungodly. And people are sitting down there, and, and, and we're, we, keep, we keep doing this to our children that are overstimulating. They're walking around literally like zombies. And we're wondering what's going on. Can I tell you, that is not what God intended for us to be. God intended for us to have a healthy mind. Be not conformed to this world, amen, but be ye transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. And let the mind of Christ, let this mind be in you. God's not wanting us to be subject to the things of this world. And so I, I highly recommend this book. This is an excellent book. I can't even begin to exhaust it. I'm just touching on the tops. Thrilled to death how the endless pursuit of pleasure is making us numb. We are sensationalists. This generation is sensationalist. And if you listen just, uh, and, and it is what it is in culture. If you listen to music today and music 50 years ago, not only is the style different, but it goes deeper than the style being different. Back then, you go back before, and music moves slowly. You listen, you go to a symphony. If you've ever been to the symphony and you hear a symphony, it's very complex. It has incredible, it'll have hundreds of different pieces and parts that all come together to bring this wonderful thing. There's nothing so powerful and, and complex and intriguing to me musically as certain symphonic pieces. But today's music is not about the complexities and stuff. Today's music is about the drive. It's about, and you can feel it. It's like constantly, um, when I was a kid, I had a little, the first uh, uh, keyboard, electric keyboard I had was that little Casio keyboard. Anybody have one of those little Casio keyboards? And it had, it had, you could play the piano on top, and then it had a real cool feature. You could split the keyboard, and on the low end, you could just, you could just play the bass by one note. And you could add to the bass. There was a bass. So you could hold down one note, and you could play on the top here, and you could have like a whole band. And you could add the drums in there. And then there was a button called fill-in. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you'd hit the fill-in button, and all of a sudden there'd be a drum roll, and there'd be something else special, and there'd be a break in the music, and it'd go on. And man, we'd play, and we'd, we, uh, we used to play church at home with my sister and all of her baby dolls, and I only knew one song, but I'd play that song slow, and we'd cry, or I'd play that song fast, and we'd shout. 
and I'd hold the tempo button, I'd speed it up or I'd slow it down, you know, and that's, that's how we'd play. And then, man, if it was really going, I'd hit that fill-in button, and that was when you took off and you ran the aisles. I mean, at, you know, at that point, it was like, ooh, it's, it's on. And, but now, today's music in culture, and it bleeds into Christianity and everything, it's, it's, we think it's just a style, but it's not just a style. It's who we are. Music is one nonstop fill-in. I mean, it's like, it's got to be constantly going. That's why when you go to, to, to a more youthful place, it's got to be, it's got to be the drive. It's got to be going because we're not moved by something slow. And, and, and we have to have higher intensities to peak our sensation. Does that make sense? And so we, 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 we're, we're so captivated by that and we're chasing after that and, and we miss out on so many things. So the same thing can happen in video games. I grew up, man, what was the first video game? And I, I got to let Brother Kendall come back. What was the first video game where uh, the, yeah, Atari, what was, what was the, the game though? Pong? Yeah, or Space Invaders? I mean, anybody play Space Invaders? And wow, I was playing that. I was like, I was like, you go back now and it's like, what are you doing? There's like a dot. There's like a cursor moving on the screen now, you know? And then, and then we evolved to that. And now... And now children are, are playing games where they literally are killing people. That's how far we've gone. Now, I'm not saying we've got to go back to the graphics of Space Invaders. But I do think something is wrong when that is what kids can do for hours on end. And then we want to bring him to Sunday school and expect that everything's going to be corrected by three songs and a sermon. That's not going to work that way. So we've got to be proactive about that. You've got to be pro. I've got to be proactive about that. Not only in my life, but in the life of my family. I could go on and talk about amusing ourselves to death. That, that, that's another great book, um, secular book. And then we could talk about the hive or the group mindset of social media. The time factor that you spend, the hive mind, is when you spend so much time. It literally, on social media, culture literally begins to alter your mind. And it begins, you begin to think a certain way. This is, this is you can Google, hive mind. You begin to think a certain way because you're using certain types of social media. Well, if you haven't been paying attention to the news, all of the social media things are not all the social media thing. They are not your friend. They are using you. They're using your information. Now I'm on those. They're using your information. They're selling your information. They're categorizing things, and they are using algorithms to allow you to see certain things and what you shouldn't see. They are literally dictating what is coming before your eyes. They are. We are living in in George Orwell's 1984, where you want to talk about mind manipulation. You say, "Oh, that's crazy." Folks, this stuff is playing out. It's in the news. I'm not, I'm not a prophet. I'm just reporting what the secularists are saying. And it's so far widespread and we're so entrenched that now they're not hiding. There's no conspiracy. They are telling us what they are doing. They are saying, this is what I'm doing. Folks, as apostolics, we should not be subject to the way the world is thinking. Our mind, My mind should not be shaped by the ideals of Zuckerberg and Twitter and all these other things, it ought to be the Word of God that I'm standing upon. Is that all right? Is this okay? So we use social media, but if there ever comes a day, hey, where this is counterproductive to being a Christian, then hey, folks live for thousands of years without social media, we'll be okay. Give me the Word of God and I'll stand forevermore. Somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. Amen. Amen. So with all of this going on, with the knowledge of the amount of time that people are devoting to their screens and, and the effect that this is having, what many experts are advising, and this is not even apostolic, this is just people in the world are advising that uh, it is important or wise to take time to unplug or to detox or to put safeguards in our lives against social media. And the reason that they are saying this is they are saying you need to do this just to be healthy or have a successful life. And, and so as an apostolic, even more than that, I want to know what is the spiritual impact of this and, and what impact does all of this have on my walk and my relationship with God and, and what kind of impact does this have on my ability to give to the kingdom of God? What is the spiritual impact? And so 
Um, when it comes to unplugging, there was, there's a couple articles that I was looking at, and uh, in the Pentecostal Life magazine, uh, which we, we have out in the lobby every, every issue, in the February issue, there was an article written by Dr. Kristen Keller, and she is the National Hyphen Director, and she actually went pretty far. She took an extreme step, and she just took one year, 2017, and she took the entire year off of social media. She took one year where she was not engaged in social media, and in that article, she kind of wrote about her experience with that and what that was like for her, and she talked about how, for her, it really deepened her uh, relationship with people in her life, and it deepened her relationship with God when she took all of that time that she would normally have put into media, and she was pouring that into her relationships, and she even talked about how it was pretty crazy that she would be uh, in line at Starbucks, and when the person in front of her was done ordering, instead of like, oops, bumping into them, staring at her phone, she was actually able to look them in the eye and smile and say hi to them because she was not staring at her phone. And so she, she really uh, had some great things to say in that article if you wanted to look at that. There's another article written by Michael Hyatt, and uh, he writes a lot of literature and art books and things about leadership and life and all those kind of things. And he said that he took on a vacation. He, he decided that for a vacation that he took, he took that time to unplug. And so he arranged everything, all of his emails and phone and everything like that, so that he was not at all, he deleted apps off his phone, deleted all the things, so that he could have a vacation that was totally uh, unplugged, not engaged with any kind of media. And uh, he said for the first 24 hours, he was compulsively, like just, it was his natural habit to check his phone. And I don't know how many people the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up uh, is you grab your phone. My alarm clock is my phone, so it's just a natural habit. And throughout the day, I don't. My phone doesn't even have to go off. It's just a natural habit to check, to check our phones. And so he had that compulsive habit. But he said after the first 24 hours, that began to to go away. And he noticed that in the span of just one vacation, that his attention span began to grow by uh, eliminating or unplugging from social media. And then lastly, there was uh, this article that was written by Chip and Joanna Gaines. They put out a magazine, and um, a principle never concreted is useless. And so, you know, when we talk about all these things, we're trying to give principles of the Word of God and, and all these principles, but a principle is abstract, and this, this applies to all principles. But you can have knowledge of a principle, but it does not benefit you or do you any good until you take that principle and you concrete it and you say, this is how I'm going to apply it to my life. You say, okay, I believe in this principle, but this is how I'm going to take it and make it real and live it out in my life. And so uh, in this article by uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines, they just gave a few ideas and things that we can do in our lives and in our homes and our families that can help us um, in our engagement with media. And so they said number one is the do not disturb feature on your phone. It's a great feature where you can eliminate distraction. You can say, you know what, right now I don't need uh, to, to be, you can have a time where this is a family time or whatever it is where my phone is on do not disturb. Number two, they said, leave your phone at home during an event. So maybe there's an event you're going to, and you can say, I don't need my phone here, or you could leave your phone in the car, and if you need pictures, you could maybe use a real camera. <laughs> That's what they said. That was in the article. Number three, uh, they said, stack your nightstand with books, newspapers, magazines, instead of opting for electronic devices. They say that uh, actually looking at a, a digital screen right before you go to bed is actually negative to your sleep. It, it uh, is harmful to the, uh, the sleep that you're getting. And so you get better sleep if you don't look at those things um, before you go to bed. Number four, establish a phone-free zone. Establish a time or a place in your home where there are no phones. Maybe it's a time at dinner or maybe there's no phones in the bedroom, but make a time and a place where there, there's a phone-free zone. Number five, get a regular alarm clock. You know, that, that's the temptation of the phone being the alarm clock. And so they said, get a regular one, and you won't have that temptation to have your phone right there uh, when you wake up and as you are going to sleep. Number six, gather your phones in a basket. They said, maybe when your family or friends come to your home, you have a basket dedicated where everyone has to put their phones in the basket so that you're not sitting around the living room, everyone's staring at their phone. Number seven. Start journaling. Replace 10 minutes of phone time with 10 minutes of writing. 
jot down reflections of the day, fun things your kids said or plans you're anticipating. And lastly, number eight, do a smart detox. Leave your smart device behind for a day or skip social media for a week. You might be amazed at how it can feel. And so with all this, you know, when, when you talk about social media and the amount that, or media in general and the amount that we are consuming, um, it is, I think, certainly healthy to have times where you're unplugged. And I think a good indicator of whether or not you're using it as a tool or whether or not it's controlling you is whether you have the ability and the self-control to say, I can put this aside for a few days. I can, I can let go of this. If, if that's a struggle and an issue, then that is probably an indicator that it is uh, an issue, an addiction perhaps, and, and something that needs to be addressed in our lives. Amen. Pastor. All right. Somebody say praise the Lord. All right, we're almost done here, and I want to just cover some things. I know we did not have enough handouts. If there is a couple handouts of spouses that maybe you have an extra you could share, and somebody, did this group not get one back here? We could uh, share a few of those. You could help me pass those out, or we can publish a little bit more. Um, that way, maybe not everybody in one family needs it. But I want to highlight some things. Number one, he said, now, Chip and Joe made it into Bible study tonight. Uh, so there you go. They, they, that was their recommendations. Uh, talking about uh, going to somebody's house and, and having a basket and making everybody put their phone in there, uh, I think all of us have been victim and perpetrators of using our phone when we should be in a conversation probably at some time. Uh, I took my wife out last year to a, a little play for um, I don't know, some special event, and, and when we went there, they made no bones about it. They said, thank you for being here and being our guest. But tonight, we are going to ask you to put your phones away. Do not use your phone. Do not text with your phone. Do not have your phone out. It is distracting to both the actors and it's distracting to everyone else in this environment. If you need to use your phone, please, you can dismiss yourself. Glad you came. But do not use your phone. And so there are some places where culture is just, that's customary. They're pushing back and say no phones. It's messing with the experience. So now we don't do that at church. Maybe we should do that at church and say, um, put your phones away. Because you wouldn't, you wouldn't come in church and in the middle of service have a conversation all day long. But too many times people come in without even knowing it. And, and well, what would you get out of service? Well, you were on Facebook the whole time or YouTube or whatever else. Well, what is that doing? You're in the building. What, why even come? Why even be a part of that? So we have to be proactive. Now, I understand I have the Bible on my phone, and I use that. And sometimes when I'm in events, I use my phone, but I'm intentional. Hey, this is not a device to text. This is not, this is a device. I use notes and stuff like that. And I'm not against that. So if that's what you're doing, that's fine. But don't be using your phone for things in times like that. Don't be, don't take your wife out for your 15th anniversary and be on your phone all night, right? So no, I put, turn that thing off, and I'm putting that away, and, and we're engaging. So uh, a couple things. We've got to be proactive. What happens, what happens when we do nothing? Nothing good will happen if we do nothing. If we just say, hey, we invited in, and we do nothing, nothing good is going to happen. 70% of teens, and this is for the parents in front of the teenagers and for the teenagers in front of the parents, 70% of teenagers hide their online activity from their parents. You need accountability. Husbands, you need accountability from your wives. Wives, you need accountability from your husbands. Um, children need accountability from their parents. Is that all right? It's getting real quiet tonight. I love it when it gets quiet. And it's a good thing. Children, youth, it's okay for you to have a social media account and your parents to have the username and the password. And it's okay for them to, whenever you don't know, log in and check because they're older than you and they're more experienced. And you may think that that's some cute girl or some cute guy that wants to talk to you, but in reality, it's some adult that's living in a basement that's fronting as somebody else that is a perpetrator. And you need accountability. You may be curious about things and you're stepping into territory that you have no business going in. And so you've got to have accountability. I'm in the Holy Ghost tonight. Somebody ought to clap your hands and thank the pastor for preaching. Amen. I love you. I love you. 
So we've got to be careful. Also, this is, uh, I've recommended this book, Screens and Teens. I've recommended this book, The Cyber Effect, Mary Aiken, powerful, phenomenal, uh, an academic read, uh, an atheist or agnostic, no way Christian, and yet she's highlighting everything that we're talking about. Her suggestion, she says no child should be, uh, have screen time until they are two years old. She said not only is there no advantage for them to have screen time, she says it's, dis- it's disabling to a child's intellectual and emotional relational development. That's how much the world is screaming and trying to fight back. So I want you to go to the handout, and we're going to leave you with this. You've got to make your own rules. I'm not setting those rules. Maybe you create a basket next to your door and say, when you get home, dinner time, family time, this is where they go. You set your own rules. You have to live your own life. I'm just your pastor. I can't live your life for you. You've got to do that for yourself. But I do want to give you some things. There was uh, something, I got this from Alan Parr. He's a, a, a Christian online. You can watch his uh, video blogs called The Beat on YouTube. And he, he, he shared one, seven traps of social media. So real quick, we'll highlight this because we're running out of time. The seven traps are this. The first trap is the coveting trap. Coveting. When you covet. He says, when you start coveting over the amounts of likes and comics that others are getting, you begin to get your validation by those actions. People get on social media. This really is applicable to youth, but it's also applicable to adults because young people get on and they say, well, this person's got a thousand followers or they got however many thousand, they're getting hundreds of likes and all that stuff. And I'm only getting 10 likes. Nobody must like me. And they live in a false reality. Folks, that's not true. Can I tell our young people, just because you're only getting 15 likes doesn't mean you're a waste. It doesn't mean you're a nobody. God loves you. You have a wonderful family that loves you. And don't worry about all that online validation. They may have 2,000 followers, but they paid for 1,800 of them. You know you can buy followers and you buy likes and you buy all that stuff. So robots, we're in the day of bots. The second trap is the venting trap. Proverbs 29, 11 ought to seal this. A fool utters his mind, all his mind, but a wise man keeps it in until afterwards. So next time you are tempted to use social media as a place to vent your opinions, there is a button, they tell me, on Facebook that says, post only to me, so that you are the only one that can see it. So when you're tempted, vent, type it out, and then hit post only to me, so nobody else can see it, but you'll think, hey, I put it out there, and we'll all be happy and live happily ever after. Amen. The third trap, the comparison trap. When you start comparing your reality to somebody else's highlight reel, it's depressing. People don't post their lowlights. They post their highlights. So when you see somebody living all that fancy stuff, you don't know. They took 75 pictures before they finally posted one on internet. And then they added 75 filters. Don't worry about that. So don't be caught in comparison. The time trap. It is said the average user of social media spends three and a half hours a day on social media. Contrast that, if you will, to how long you spend in prayer and Bible reading and worship. Is that okay? So maybe we need to go back to, is our life out of balance? The secrecy trap. 20% of all divorces are a result of an online relationship. Be accountable. Be accountable. The distraction trap, it distracts you. Social media can distract you. Media can distract you from building meaningful relationships, engaging relationships with friends through conversations. I heard the other day somebody told me that they had been dating somebody for two years, and this is a while ago. It was, maybe it was a youth pastor who told me, and, and the, the guy and the girl had never spoken. They had been dating for two years, and they had never spoken. We laugh at that, but that's the world that we live in, where people are more free expressing themselves through text 
than they are in actually opening up and speaking. Can I tell you, God did not create us to, number one, live in isolation. He created us to live in community, and He created us to communicate through those means. The final one is the co-signing trap. Know this, as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, as a Christian, as an apostolic, everything that we like, share, and support is a reflection not only of us, but is a reflection of all Christians. It is a reflection of all Christianity. You are the light of the world. You are representing not just yourself, but you are representing Christ. So you have a responsibility, a biblical mandate, and a responsibility to be a Christian. Amen. I want to leave you, if I can, with the five live screens tell five lies screens tell our teens. And this comes from the book here uh, by Kathy Coach, Screens and Teens Connecting Our Kids in a Wireless World. And she talks about some things here, very powerful, great, but I'll, I'll break it down for you. The five lives are, lies are this. The digital age, this is what children growing up today are learning. Lie number one is I am the center of my own universe. We grow up. It's all about digital media. It's all about social media. It's all about me, 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 me. And so, because that's how we live. Everything's about me. It's all through that lens. It's all through that filter. And so, it's telling us that I am the center of my own universe. Anybody can be a star. Anybody can be whatever. You get on and, and, and you're famous over whatever, and that's what everybody's striving for. The second lie is, I deserve to be happy all the time. Because all we see is highlights of everybody else's life. And we think everybody walks around with no bad days, no problems. Everybody's happy. Everybody's having fun. Life is one big party. And if I have a hangnail or a bad hair day, life is just wrong. And, and I should be happy all the time. That is a lie. That is not reality. And children are trying to process this. So be careful when you give. When I hear of eight-year-olds that have social media accounts, my Lord, that's like throwing them in the lion's cage down at St. Louis Zoo. I'd be arrested if I put Luke in there. But yet we'll put our kids in that and all these kinds of things. And so the third lie is this. The third lie is this. I must have choices. Because you have so many options digitally, so many options, options. I got to have choices. I got to have choices. We can't even go to a place that just serves Coke, Diet Coke, or Mr. Pibb. We got to go to the machine and you can have Coke, but you can have Coke 30 different ways. Or you can have Diet Coke and you can have Diet Coke 30 different ways. I stand before that and get anxiety because I don't know what I want. And what if I pick the wrong thing? What if I'm not happy with it? I mean, Coke and Diet Coke was so easy. I mean, like, and so kids think I have to have choices. Can I tell you, sometimes in life, you don't get a choice. And you have to make the best with what is dealt to you. And you learn to live life. Is this all right? Lie number four says, I am my own authority. Nobody needs to tell me what to do. I'm my own authority. I establish my own destiny. I establish my own thing. And so children grow up in this mentality. I am my own authority. I do what I want. If I don't like what he's saying, I'll just find somebody else. There's a million different YouTube interpretations of every scripture in the Bible, of every philosophy in the world. I'll just find somebody else. I'm my own authority. I don't have to listen to anybody. I can get on there now. Before, when somebody uh, was, was a news broadcaster, um, they had to go through school. They had to come up through all these accolades. Now, anybody can be a journalist. Anybody can be a reporter. And so while that has opened up great possibilities for different things, it has also opened up great, great uh, uh, abuses as well. And you don't know what to believe. There's people reporting all kinds of things, you know. And so we got people that are credible contributors on news, of, uh, news websites that, you know, saw a Martian last week. I mean, that's the kind of stuff. So I am my own authority. If I don't like what you say, I just say whatever I want. And so that's where we're at. And then the final lie is this. The final lie that we grow up with is this. Information is all I need, so I don't need anyone to teach me anything. And we're actually dumbing ourselves down. Because we have so much unlimited access to information, we take the information for granted, and we think, oh, I'll just Google it. I don't need to know that. I'll just Google it. And that's, that's the generation in which we live. 
And so kids Google everything. I don't need anybody to teach me anything. I, I've got it all. And we're actually dumbing ourselves down. If you go back and you look at the English, English language, go back and if you see Webster's Dictionary, whoa, the real deal. I was in a used bookstore in Springfield last week. IYC stopped in there. And there was, a, there was Webster's Dictionary. It wasn't even the original. It was only, uh, I think, 60 years old, 60, 70 years old maybe. And it was this fat. And the everyday languages that people used to speak, that just people who simply knew how to read and write, was so much greater than what is even today. And we have specialized information, but we really were dumbing ourselves down in certain things. If there ever was a real catastrophe, there's a lot of people that would not know how to live without the internet. A lot of people that would not know how to simply survive. These are lies. So what happens if you do nothing? Nothing good happens. You've got to be proactive. You've got to get ahead of this. That's our responsibility. Stand together with me. God wants us to be pure. God wants us to be holy. He wants us to be clean. He wants us to be healthy, spiritually healthy in every way. And so we don't want to be derailed by the things that our culture is throwing out there at us. Would you pray with me tonight? Lord, I thank you, God, for the life that you've given us. I thank you.